God is good, amen? So with preachers, uh, Sunday evening, I think, and Monday morning is kind of a, a difficult time from what I'm, I've been told from my buddies. That it's, it's a moment where you're looking back on the, the sermon that you just preached, wondering if it, if it lined up with the thoughts that you originally had, if you said the right things, if there is some bad video clips of you saying the wrong things that can be played over and over again against you, uh, you're wondering if it, if it had the impact that you hope it did. You wonder if it is affecting even your own personal life and you're living that out as well. While at the same time, you're looking to the next Sunday because as a preacher, Sunday's always coming. And so a couple weeks ago, I stood up here and I talked about how the church is a body, is like a body. And we're doing this, this three-part kind of sermon series on the church's like. And I talked about how the church is like a body. And that Monday morning, I came to church and there was like 15 people here doing all kinds of different things. Working on different rooms, cleaning, organizing. And I had remembered my sermon the Sunday before thinking, you know what, I preached a really good sermon because I talked about many members and all kinds of working together and using your gifts and talents. And it was so effective that 15 people came up that Monday morning and started to work. And I ignored the fact that they had already planned to do that before I preached. But there was a lot of people... There's been several people doing a lot of things here among our building. But the church is like a body. And the body has many members, many parts. And each member, each part plays a function. Uh, it, it contributes back to the body as a whole. And so today we're going to talk about the church is like a building. And to help you get where I have been, when I grew up, understanding what a building is, uh, what a church is like, and how the church is like a building, we're going to go through the hand motions that I learned when I was a child to describe what a church is like, okay, or what the church is. So everybody put your hands together like this, all right, and then you're going to close it, and you're going to make some, your thumbs go up here, and then we're going to add the steeple, okay? This is the church, right? Here is the steeple, and get ready, it's going to shock you guys. You open the door, look, there's all the people, all right? I was always tempted to draw faces on my fingers for that, but I just figured they would be upside down, which some people are here in this morning, all right? But that was, that was what we talked about when we talked about the church, and what the church is, that the church is the building, that when we tell our kids that we're going to church, what we mean is this facility here, this, this place with walls and roof and lights and hopefully AC during the Texas heat summers. But we talk about it being a building. And I've lived in this tension growing up that the church is the building, but the church is not the building, the church is the people. And, and it's kind of this back and forth match of the church is the building. No, the church is the people. No, the church is the building. No, the church is the people. And, and I think there's a reason behind that. 
And, and a quick history lesson this morning, just, just briefly. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to move down to verse 46. If you're ever wondering what's going on in, in somebody's mind up here, I accidentally went to 1 Peter, and 1 Peter 2 does not have a verse 46. And I got in a quick panic, like, am I, am I right on this? Acts 2, verse 46. Every day, they continue to meet together. Who is this talking about? It's talking about believers who have, have gathered together to hear about this resurrected Jesus. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so here's this picture that they were the the, the people who are were following this resurrected Savior were gathering together in the temple courts and in their homes. And you'll see them at times meeting in in, in the outer court, the, the, the court of the Gentiles, which to me is significant because that's where both Jews and Gentiles could be together. You would see Jesus in his times of teaching, teaching in that outer court, the court of the Gentiles, where all people could gather and hear them listen. It wasn't in, in, the, in the other parts of the temple where only the Jews could go or only certain men could go. But it was in the place where everybody could gather together. But it also says that they, it mentions that they gather together in their homes. And for the most part, in the early growth of the church, there was a lot of meeting and a lot of gathering in homes. And they would, they would grow. They would, they would, they would want to be together. But then they would run out of room. And so maybe one member had a larger house. And that member decided, you know what? We are giving everything. Everything we have is, is to build this kingdom. Our resources is to build this kingdom, to grow this body of believers. And so our, my house is our house. And, and, and because we can't fit all in this one room, we're going to knock down some walls. And so these houses started to be converted a little bit so that more larger groups could fit in because they just couldn't help but be together. And you don't see many church buildings popping up until around 313 AD when Constantine decided to legalize Christianity. Before then, there, were, there would be some that you would see that, that industrial places, larger places converted into to home churches but when Constantine legalized Christianity, it allowed Christians to, to, to take over more industrial places, to convert them into to houses of worship. It allowed them to, to be able to, to own and buy property and build. And so you would see these buildings over time grow. And, and what they would do when they would build these buildings, they would, they would think about space. And they would think about function. 
they would think about what it symbolized. And when the people would build a place or, or, or take over a place and convert it, they wanted it to symbolize their faith and the love and hope that God had for them to one another in it and to the community. And so the things that took place within that building, the way they made it, shaped it, and used it, was to be very symbolic of their relationship with God. An architectural design would, would take place. They, they would think about the context of, of how it looked among their culture, too, as well. For instance, a, a squatty building at times did not look appealing to the eye. But tall and slender buildings did, and so they would, they would add a steeple to the church to give it an appearance that it was taller and thinner, which I would like to be. But the steeple at the same time not only served as this architectural function, it served to symbolize a relationship with God because as they walked up to this building with the steeple, all parts of the steeple point your eyes towards the heavens, reminding you that there is a God. And it, it would be a place where in the community you could see at a distance. So those in the community who might not attend there, might not know the lake, location of it, could see in a distance that there's a place a gathering of people and those people have something to do with faith and hope and love and so the buildings would would change over time there would be this different eras of church buildings the romanesque era where uh, they used a lot of arches and a lot of stone and thick walls to this gothic era where everything seems to be very pointed and tall and slender, where stained glass windows came into effect. And then to the Renaissance era, where they brought back the arches, the mixture of the arches of the Romanesque era and, and some of the Gothic era of, of the glass windows and stuff. But, but they started adding in these domes when you walked in, and, and the walls were very clean, and simplicity was added into it. And so, architect culture played this role in how the building itself looked. I can remember being a young kid, my, my mother who's a painter uh, down in, in Panhandle of Florida in South Alabama, I think she painted most of the church building's baptistry scenes. That, that, was, that was a big thing at one point, that there was this baptistry and there'd be this beautiful scene painted behind it to kind of represent being out in nature. And my mom painted several of those, which I was always confused because she was afraid of water. But that time and that culture, it, it played into it. We, we just got back from vacation and we were driving from, I had to go down to, to, from Crystal Beach to Port Aransas. A buddy of mine was doing a, a wedding renewal. So I got to do his renewal on the, on the beach in Port Aransas on a Friday evening. So yesterday we were coming back and we were coming back through Waco. And Christy said, hey, 
why don't we go to the silos and get some cupcakes? And I looked in there and I said, you had me at cupcakes. And so we, we stopped into the silos where Chip and Joe have just remodeled all of that part of Waco, all right? But you can see that there's this design, this architectural design. There's, there's a color scheme that has, has changed over the years. Our, one of our first houses that we lived in at Bowles, I wanted to paint the living room solid red, and it was, and the, and the bookshelf was purple. I don't know. It just looked fun to me. We don't have red and purple in our house this time. There's grays. There's whites. There's simplicity. So architecture has changed. But what the people desired when they would build a building, what they, they wanted was that symbolism. They wanted it to, when you walked in to remind you of your relationship with God, that there is a center when you come into it that draws your attention towards God and draws your attention towards one another. And I, I can remember as a young child at West Milton Church of Christ, we, we had this, it was a very boxy church. You walked in, there was the foyer, and then you walked in, and then there was, there was the, uh, the auditorium, the worship area. And then the baptistry was right front and center, and you could enter both ways. And then there was a back door that led directly to the preacher's house where we lived. I guess that was his escape route, my dad's escape route. But then off, it was kind of like shaped like an L, because later on, they came in and added the education wing. But there was this moment in which the church had decided they were going to rebuild, and they built right next to it. And I got to be a, a part of watching that as a child. Uh, and they built this real round, beautiful church where all the classrooms surrounded the auditorium. And you could enter the auditorium in different areas. But their focus was how can we turn each other more towards one another. So when we sing, we're more facing one another. But, but I, remember, I remember when they were building that building. Because I was, I was a little frustrated. Uh, because there's a moment after the ground had been truly broke by the bulldozer. And, and the guy operating the bulldozer, I remember this, his name was Rusty Lee. Uh, I got to ride with him. I was like eight years old. I got to ride with him on the bulldozer to smooth out the land. And there was a special Sunday that the elders of the church all had shovels. And they were sitting there, and they were kind of holding the shovel, and they were digging it in. And they were all taking pictures because it was the groundbreaking day. And as a kid, my perception of that was like, they weren't out here digging dirt. Rusty was. It wasn't them that was out here moving that dirt along, making it level. Their shovels, shovels are pretty clean but it was very symbolic to what was going on. And this church too has one of those shovels. And I thank Doug for, for filling in and, and speaking last, last Sunday and talking about our elders and the way we should look to them, the way we should think about them. But I think this metaphor of, of the elders kind of building this church and being a part of that and the metaphor of the church is like a building is very fitting. So much that Paul agrees with me. 
Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Consequently, in order to know that, you've got to go back and read. So y'all, I'm going to let y'all do that later on this evening. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation, the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. Sorry, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises and becomes a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. The to become the dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul is giving this imagery that we are, we are placed in this building. We are built together. And Peter, in 1 Peter, he'll, he'll say the same thing, that, that we are a part of this, this, this building and we are his living stones. And so Paul is giving this imagery of that we are placed together and we, we create this house this temple which God dwells. And as I think about this, I, I, I think of how just like the body with many, many members, that all of us as, as living stones or as stones have a part to play, that we are a piece of this building called the church. But as I have been working through this, and as I think about church growth, and I think about the future, I, I can't help but think about how buildings are passed down from one generation to the next. That buildings are given for one generation to use. And that generation takes care of it and it thinks about the future of the next generation and how the next generation will be able to have it and use it. I think about how we're called to pass on things from one generation to the next. Let's go to Psalms 145. Psalms 145. And we're going to look at verse 3. Psalms 145, starting verse 3, and it reads, Great is the Lord... And most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness. And joyfully sing of your righteousness. One generation commends your works to another. They tell your mighty acts. All through the Psalms, you see constantly how one generation is sharing to the next generation the works and what God has done and the faithfulness of the Lord. That there's something to be passed down. And when I think about buildings, I think that buildings are something that are passed down, that one generation will inherit that building from the next. 
And to me, there's this beautiful metaphor that takes place here. That we are giving something on to the next generation. And he says, it is our, the, the words, declaring the words of the Lord, the faithfulness of God. About three weeks ago, I decided I would just listen to this guy named Eric Gentry, who's a, a preacher in Memphis at uh, Highland Church of Christ, where my aunt and uncle go to church. And the first lesson that pops up that I'll click on was this lesson that he is starting this series about the next generation. And he describes in this sermon about Abraham in Genesis chapter 24. That Abraham is, is older in age and God has been faithful. He has been faithful back to God and God has blessed him and he wants to bless his son Isaac. And so he gets his servant, not just any of his servants, he gets his head servant. The one that's over all of his possessions, the one that's over everything that he owns and he cares for. And he tells that head servant, I want you to go over to this place and I want you to find Isaac a wife because God has been faithful to me. I want you to take all the camels you can, the donkeys. I want you to take some servants. I want you to take some silver. I want you to take some gold. I want you to take all my resources because God has been faithful to me. And I want Isaac to know how God's going to be faithful to him. Go find him the best wife you possibly can. So that when he's older in age, he'll be able to look back and say, look how faithful God has been to me. Abraham was willing to give his resources, his time, his money, his energy, the people that he was over and, and owned. He was willing to give everything so that Isaac would know the faithfulness of the Lord. I, I grew up moving around an awful lot. I counted it up last night, and I know I'm short on my count. But by the time I was 20 years old, I'd lived in 22 different houses, none, none of them which were ours that we owned. My seventh grade year from, or sixth grade year from my summer before my sixth grade year to the summer after my sixth grade year, I lived in five different homes. Uh, we, we moved from a cottage back in Texas back to Florida. We moved in with some friends of ours, the Hatters. And then we moved into a rent house that we, we could not afford it at the time. So then another church family uh, friend of ours there in Florida let us stay in his rent house for a while, which that rent house was at one time a funeral home. It was a two-story funeral home where they took care of the bodies downstairs and people, offices and stuff upstairs. I never understood why none of my friends would stay the night with me. <laughs> then we moved into another house, rent house in the Pensacola area, then we moved back here to Texas. But I moved around a lot, had a lot of different houses, a lot of different bedrooms. And when Christy and I started uh, to get serious, I said this to her. I said, I don't think I'll ever own my own home. Just letting you know, we'll, we'll probably never have anything with our name on it like that. And it was kind of a side, sidebar of an arrogant kind of thing because I was also a guy that was willing to go live in a van down by the beach. All right? I'm not that guy anymore. There's way too much sand involved. Um, but 
it was out of my experiences thinking, I don't, I don't think I'm one who could ever have a house of my own. I'm not think I'm somebody that has meant to have a house of my own. And so I, I told her that, and it kind of alarmed her. But because I was so good looking, she stayed with it. And so after some time, like she told me that kind of bothered her. Not because she, she wanted to definitely have a home, but it was like I was kind of stating this will never be, you know. But there's something about having a house that you can hand off to the next generation. That when you're gone, that they can use that place to, to further and, and, and take care of their needs. And so when we moved here, we, we stayed in a couple rent houses. Christy got done with, with nursing. She started working. And we, we looked to buy. And it was just really difficult to buy because it, it just takes money, right? But there became this opportunity, a really good opportunity. We found this house. And the house needed a lot of work. Several of you came and worked on that yard for me and my wife. Uh, but the inside of it needed, needed some fixing up. And it was going to take a little bit more money. And I grew up not having a house of my own, but my grandparents. They had this house in Michigan. And, and I, I remember it because it was, it was a staple of a visit. Every year, that's, we would go there, and, and we would drive up there, and we would spend time there. And I remember it distinctly. I can, I can even smell it. Uh, my grandmother had a basement, and, and the stairs were really steep, and I always thought one day she's going to go down, and she's gone, you know. But we get down to the end of the basement, and there's a pool table that my grandfather and I would constantly play on. And I just thought it was interesting because all the pipes were there where you could see them. And you, you could hear somebody when they flushed the toilet or, or turned on the sink in the kitchen. And the laundry room was down there in a full bathroom, and it was just a nice hangout. But they lived there for a very long time. In fact... Uh, my mom had, had drawn a picture of their house and this, hook, and this hung in their house uh, for the longest time. And they got to a point where they couldn't live there anymore. They needed, to, they needed more assistance, and so my mom moved them down here, and they rented it out. And then at one moment, they decided they needed to sell a house that was very special to them, a house that, that was, was full of life and memories, but they had to sell it. And one day, I'm sitting with my grandmother outside the nursing home. She's in her wheelchair. We just kind of rolled out to a shaded area. And she said, hey, I know you're trying to work on a house. And you know we've sold our house. I want to give you a little money to help you fix it up. Whatever I can do, I want to be a part of that. And so this painting stays in our house now because this house is very much a part of my home. It's a very big piece of it. Not just because there was something financially taken there and given and received, but because there was a faith that my grandparents passed on to their kids and their kids passed on to me. And that house represents that. So as I think about that,
And I think about the church as a building. My question is, what are we handing off to the future generation? These are the buildings that, that we have been blessed with that have put us here from 1869 to this one being built in 1966. That there was a generation that worked and furthered the kingdom that wanted to provide hope and symbolize something into this, this community that when people gathered there, they would know that there was love and hope and faith. And that generation handed that off to another generation. And that generation grew it, took care of it, nurtured it, and would hand it off to another generation. And our building is a metaphor to our church. So if our building is a metaphor to our church, look around and evaluate. What are we giving to the next generation? How are we thinking about the space that we have and the function and ways we use it? What are the things we need to do to nurture it? So that when you walk in here, you see that it symbolizes faith and hope and love. And that when the community drives by, they can see that it symbolizes faith and hope and love. And will it be here? Will it be here for the next generation? Or will it be a place where moths and rust destroy? Will it be a place that we take care of? Or will we sit back and we say, you know what? We've done our time. I ask for teachers constantly. Not because I just need a pulse in the room to make sure the kids don't kill themselves. But because we want to pass something on to the next generation. And there's no generation here in this room that's too old that can't offer something to this body, to this building, to this church. Are you with me? Amen? Amen. Jesus is mentioned as this cornerstone. And from what I understand about a cornerstone is that all the other stones line up with that stone. How do you line up with the cornerstone? How do you fit in with Christ? Are you living and doing what he's called you to do? Or are you just kind of looking at yourself with the other stone saying, well, I I'm a little bit better than them. Or are you looking down at the cornerstone, at Christ, and saying, do I look like him? Do I sound like him? Do I respond like he responds? That's the question as we close here today for you. Because you are a living stone. And you do have a part to play. And that is so we can further this kingdom here and so that there'll be generations who will be given a building will be handed a building that has been taken care of that has been loved that has been nurtured that symbolizes hope faith and love but in order for us to be able to do that we individually have to match up to the cornerstone so if you have any need if you're struggling with that 
There's no judgment here. This is a place of, of being able to be open and honest with us so that we can walk you through that. You can come as we stand and we sing.